The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Today, I, um, we continue our series in Mark, and this has been a blessing to me, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, today, I come to the pulpit And it was 40 years ago that I became a pastor. That was November 13th, 1983. (laughs) And a group of really brave New Englanders called me Pasta, because they can't pronounce ours, so. And uh, I called my secretary this week and we chatted and laughed and cried a little. Her husband's home in heaven. He served as a pastor for 24 years after I left. Not in my church, but in another church. And we were just celebrating that. And, and, I, and I truly remember when I was ordained in that church. And um, as the men gathered around and we prayed, and I was weeping. I was. I was crying because you go out weeping, you come back rejoicing. You weep over souls. And God brings the increase. I want to take you to a little psalm, Psalm 123. This is a song that they sang as they were approaching Jerusalem and going to the temple for worship. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, to our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Get the picture. Here's a servant, a slave, saying, I willingly look to my master for a signal. I'm looking for his direction, for what he wants me to do next. And I'm eager to do it. And most of all, Lord, I want you to display your mercy. (laughs) Because I need mercy. And everybody I know needs to know of your forgiveness. And of your power to forgive. And of your willingness to forgive. And how you will transform lives by the power of Jesus Christ. So we're looking for your mercy. And I think many of you gathered here can, this resonates with you. I remember when I was in seminary, it was uh, probably around 1980. That's not 1880. That's when our church was founded, actually, 1980. And a friend of mine, Kevin, said, uh, Rick, he says, I'm I'm planting a church in this community. Would you come and do some door-to-door evangelism? I said, sure, I'll do it. And so there's a church there today. But that night, (laughs) it was Christmas time. (laughs) So I'm knocking on doors, and I'm trying to ask them about Jesus, and and I'm sharing the gospel the best that I can. And I remember one house especially because they had a big Santa Claus on their front door. And when I mentioned Jesus, I kissed Santa. He slammed the door in my face, and Santa and I came face to face. (laughs) 
And uh, I tell you, it was tough. I'm driving back to school and I was just really sad that I'm trying, but is this even working, you know? And maybe you felt like that sometimes, even as Ed was explaining his story, his sermon today. I, I can resonate with that. Some of us have been weeping over our five faves for years. We haven't seen any movement yet. Don't give up. You don't know. Today might be the day. This might be the season when those who seem so far from Jesus surrender and put their trust in him. Well, in Mark chapter 4, we discovered last week that Jesus spoke in parables, and he did so intentionally. And the text taught us that, um, you know, there, this today is the parable of the soils, but that some people don't respond very well. Some are on the inside and they believe and they are taught the meaning of the parables, but then there are those on the outside. And sadly, the preaching and teaching in parables and otherwise is only making them worse. It's, it's forming a callus over their hearts. And Jesus quoted from Isaiah because Isaiah had the same experience. And Luke quotes the same passage of Isaiah 6 in the book of Acts because it was the experience of the Apostle Paul too. So don't get discouraged when not everybody you share the gospel with responds positively. How many of us would admit we turned down the gospel the first time we heard it? I heard it many times and, and wasn't interested. But then the day came when God opened my mind, my heart. And so... We should not give up. What's true for Isaiah and Jesus and Paul is true for us today. So we're going to look at the parable of the soils. And um, the seed is the word of God. Let me read for you. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, Woo. this parable begins and ends with the command, Listen. Sounds like Dr. Charles Stanley. He said it all the time. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them listen. The seed is the word of God. I love the way Peter describes it. Remember, Peter consulted with Mark when he was writing this. It's imperishable seed. I love that picture. You cannot take the life out of the gospel. Oh, a lot of people have tried, but it's imperishable. It's always alive. It always has exactly what every sinner needs. And the sower is Jesus Christ. He, he said this in the very first chapter that his primary goal and purpose was to share the good news of the kingdom. 
And while he did a lot of miracles and other things, it was his teaching that was so important. And, you know, when we enter into the sowing, and when we do, we're kind of like under-sowers. You know, he's the sower. We're kind of working under him. And our call is to sow the Word of God, as he did. We find that there's a lot of cooperation that happens. Paul said to the Corinthian church, I planted, but Apollos watered, and God brought the increase. And that's the blessing. I mean, God is the one who brings the increase. The parable, it seems to me, is mostly about soils. It's mostly about our responses to the sown word. There's equal opportunity because every one of the seeds hears the gospel. Jesus is very clear about that. But they don't all respond as they should. Back to uh, 4 and 1, it said that Jesus was teaching by the lake. And archaeologists and those living around the lake have discovered this beautiful bay. I don't know if you can get the picture here. This is a, an airborne shot. And they call it, you know, the, the Bay of Parables. Because some believe this is exactly where Jesus was teaching. Isn't that amazing? And, and it's like a big amphitheater. And since he didn't have a microphone, <laughs> he taught, and, and they could hear him. And uh, it's quite interesting. Quite interesting. In some ways, we both sow and reap. When Jesus, in John 4, is saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And, and he goes on to say in this text, it's so sweet. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look to the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. <laughs> Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Who did the hard work? The woman at the well, the Samaritan, who went into the city and said, could this be the Messiah? <laughs> and so while Jesus is saying this, if you look across the field in your mind, I think there's all this line of people coming out of the city of Sychar who are going to put their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, in many ways, the sowing's the hard roll, isn't it? You sow, and you sow, and you sow, and you're not seeing anything happen, and you get frustrated. Man, the reaping is exciting, man, when somebody actually puts their trust in Christ. But both are required, and it seems to me, in a lot of ways, we sow, and the Holy Spirit does the reaping. I can't save anybody. I can never say I won a soul. I didn't win anybody. God does that. But my responsibility, your responsibility, is to sow and keep sowing. We are the light of the world. Let us sow. So, as the word of God is shared with people, they respond in four ways as Jesus teaches us in this parable. A negative response, an emotional response, a divided response, and a sincere response response. Let's dive in. We're going to move to where Jesus is explaining the parable, and I'm going to introduce you to Harvey Hardhearted. Please, if your name's Harvey, don't be insulted. He gives a negative response. 
The Bible says, as Jesus teaches, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Their heart is a well-traveled path. It's beaten down. This might be in the middle of the rows. It might be on the outside of the garden. But the practice was to just throw the seed everywhere. And many steps had beaten down the soil, and it's now hard. And so the soil can't penetrate it at all. And it reminded me of what Jesus said about the narrow and wide road. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. What do you have to do if you're on the broad road? Nothing. You stay on the broad road. But if you choose the narrow way, it's a small gate and a narrow road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, I don't think this parable is teaching us that only 25% of the people that we witness to are going to respond. I don't think there's anything like that. But there are those who give no response. And it's as though their hearing is stolen from them. Because Satan, as is pictured in the parable by birds, comes along and just steals it right off their heart. If you asked them, did you ever hear the gospel? They'd say, no, I never heard it. How many of us would admit that the first time we heard the gospel, we didn't respond either? I don't need a show of hands. I will say it. And then I didn't remember it. Satan just took it away. It just was stolen right away from my heart. Satan works immediately. He works easily. It's, it's frightening to read uh, Paul's words about this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us, underline that. Paul includes himself. And if we were honest, we need to include ourselves. Paul was a self-righteous Pharisee who thought he was obeying all the rules and he was far from God. So he says, Satan was working in me too. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We just sang about that, how Jesus took the whole wrath that we deserved, the just wrath of God for us at the cross and paid the penalty for us. And all we did was believe on him. But Satan works immediately and freely. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why to be saved, to be born again, is a miracle. It's a miracle. It requires a miracle. The heart is heart. Uh, the heart is, is hard. It's shocking to read of this. I like the way uh, Barclay says it in his commentary. The seed makes no entry due to hearers' lack of interest. And that lack of interest comes from failure to realize how important the decision for Christ is. Fails to make impact on so many people, not because they're hostile to it, but indifferent. How many people you know like that? We know a lot of people like that. We live in an age of skepticism, and you try to share the gospel, I don't want to hear that. 
It's Harvey hard-hearted, making no response to the gospel. And actually, Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount that's kind of alarming. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Some of you have experienced that. You tried, you tried to share the gospel, and man, they, they ate you up. They ridiculed you, they mocked you, but it's worth it. Hey, you were in that crowd too at one time. Don't give up. Don't stop sharing. Don't stop loving. Do the sowing work. Now, I introduce you next to Harold Half-Hearted, and he gives an emotional response. Again, I apologize to all the Heralds in the room. My father-in-law's name was Harold. He's a wonderful man. Now, the text says his heart was rocky, shallow soil. He says... Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Rocky, shallow soil. I think many of you have heard this before. You understand there's a thin layer of good soil and then limestone underneath. So the soil hits the ground and... Perhaps germinates, but has no root, no depth, no nourishment, and it dies. November 13th, 1983, guess what my text was? <laughs> Psalm 1. I was a blessed man. After a year and a half of floundering, looking for some poor group of people that would let me be their pastor... Those dear people on rural route 126. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Yes, that's what we desire, a good, solid root system. But with no root system, the plant has no way of surviving. His hearing is very quick. He responds immediately, this herald does. But it's only an emotional response. I mean, it says all the right things. He received it with joy. It's a great start, but it's not just the start that counts. Barclay says, Christianity is a case of all or nothing. The verb that's used here when they fall away is scandalazo. What word do we get from that? Scandal. It's a scandal when someone falls away. It's so sad. And there are afflictions, and there are afflictions that come from persecution, and suffering and afflictions comes on all of us. It's part of the discipleship path. And we must be steadfast. The same afflictions that are pictured by the sun will be used on the good soil to produce fruit. Right? Right? The photosynthesis that happens comes from the moisture and the nourishment, but also the sun. 
How many of us would admit that we grew more in the affliction times than we did in the easy times? But sadly, this soil, this herald half-hearted falls away. All right, third one. Henry hemmed in hearted. Okay, Henry, I'm sorry. I apologize. His response is divided. Verse 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns. Hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. His heart is thorny soil. A lot of weeds. Well, by the way, when did weeds come in? Genesis 3.18, as a result of the curse. The Garden of Eden had no weeds. Hallelujah! But oh my, how weeds have made life so much more difficult. And how weeds in our lives make life difficult. Make it hard to live for Jesus Christ. And so, they're putting choking pressure on us. They're, they're hiding the sun from us. And, and, and we're missing fruitfulness. Why? Because we're distracted. See, that, that's really the sad, divided response. We're distracted. The enemies are quite clearly listed. Cares and worries of this age. Jesus used the same term in Luke 21 to say, that's why people aren't looking for my return. Because of the cares and worries of this age. Deceitfulness of wealth. What a trap it is. How easily we can become deceived by wealth. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And as Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, you know, some people have just fallen into a lot of trouble because they were seeking wealth. It's deceitful. And it's the desires for more pleasures in this life. All these things together are causing the soil in Henry's hemmed-in heart to not bear fruit. And it's a very frightening picture. It's a similar list that John says in 1 John, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now you say, Pastor, why did you put that tombstone up there? You can't read it, can you? Okay, I'll read it for you. This is the tombstone of Dwight Lyman Moody, the great evangelist. He was led to Christ by a shoemaker <laughs> when he was just a young man. Went to Chicago, started Sunday school, and ultimately became an incredible evangelist. Never went to cemetery, by the way. But he loved Jesus, and he served Jesus for a long time. And one time when he was in England... He's on the boat coming back across the Atlantic, and they had a little prayer meeting, and one of the guys said, you know, the world has never seen one person fully consecrated and dedicated to God. And when Moody heard that, he couldn't sleep that night. And he paced, <laughs> and he paced, and he paced along the boards of that ship. And before they got across the ocean, he said, Lord, I want to be that man. 
I want to be that one fully consecrated to you. So when he died, what they put on his tombstone? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 17b. Hallelujah. The soil needs to be weeded. That's the problem for this soil. And the refocus of our lives comes many times and we need to pay attention to it. I love the way Paul says it in Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Refocus your life. Get your eyes off the worries and the pleasures and the wealth and put them on Christ. See, that's the solution for Henry Hamden Hearted. All right, so we've met Harvey Hardhearted, and we've been introduced to Harold Halfhearted, and then we just spent a few moments looking at Henry hemmed in hearted. My, who are we going to find next? Gordon Goodhearted. Hallelujah for Gordon. After the first sermon, a, a, a young woman who's new to our church came up to me, and she's got tears running down her eyes, and she said, my daddy's name was Gordon, and he just died a short time ago. Yep, Gordon Goodhearted. His middle name was Harvey, so she was a little confused. But anyway... <laughs> Gordon Goodhearted has a sincere response to the gospel. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm satisfied to be Harvey, Harold, or Henry, no way. The parable, we want to be Gordon Goodhearted. See, that's who we want to be. There's no time for these other places. His heart is well-prepared soil. The seed is sown in good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. It's amazing. It's, it's a miraculous thing. Well-prepared soil, good soil. In fact, I think when Jesus said, he said, good soil, right? The word is used over 100 times in the New Testament. It means that which is admirable, fair, honest, beneficial, useful, all those things. It's good soil and it's good seed. And their hearing is ongoing obedience. I like the way Luke tells us this. The seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Noble. He adds another word, noble, which, which suggests uh, honesty and transparency and good heart. Who hear the word. All the soils heard the word. But they retain it. See, they hold on to it. They don't give up on it. They remember it and they seek to put it into practice. They retain it and by persevering produce a crop. That's probably the key. It's not just the hearing and retaining. It's the persevering. It's the fortitude to keep on keeping on. And the crop is miraculous. Were there three seeds that fell into the soil? I'm not sure, but look at it. 30, 60, 100 times. So don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
I like the way one commentator says it about Gordon Goodhearted and discipleship. Discipleship is not what we can make for ourselves, but allowing both the sower and the seed to produce a harvest of which we alone are incapable. Hallelujah! So I ask you, what is the soil of your heart like? Hmm. If I was to be honest, as I look at it, I'm, I'm like, I got some of all these soils in me. I, I do. I mean, I think in general he's talking about general response, but there are some things that God's tried to say to me I've been hard-hearted about. Now, that's probably just me. That's not you, but maybe it is you. Listen, if, if you've discovered that you're like Harvey, repent. <laughs> Say, Lord, plow it up. <laughs> Lord, soften my heart to that truth. Maybe your heart's become a little half-hearted. You can remember a time in your life when you were really excited about the Lord and about the things of the Lord. And there were some things, man, you were really embracing, but eh, you get a little tired, you get a little weary, and you're not, you're not quite as enthusiastic as you used to be. Ask for revival. Father, let the fire burn again in my soul. Don't just touch my heart. Touch my brain and my will. <laughs> Take all of me that I might produce fruit. Or maybe you're a lot like Henry. You got some weeds. I think a lot of us identify with that. But I'm not happy to be weedy. I don't want to be weedy. I want to produce fruit. I want to be like Gordon Goodhearted. So God has a plan for this. And uh, this is what he said through Hosea. Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. That can be painful. It might be difficult. But it's worth it. It's worth it. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Somebody sitting here today says, that's what I need. I, I need my heart replowed. I want to be, I want to <laughs> be bearing fruit again. There was a season in my life when I was, but, but it's past and I want it back. And what does God say? I'll show you mercy. I'll change your life. I'll give you a new start. Isn't it great that God gives us new starts. The Christian life, somebody said, so true, is like a new start every day, a new beginning. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit's spoken to you. I know some of how he's been speaking to me. But I pray that everybody here seeks to have a good heart and to be useful to the Master. I noticed that the Apostle Paul believed this about himself. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He, he thought he might die when he was in prison and writing this letter. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. See, he had a very positive view about it all. It's going to mean fruitfulness. It's going to mean I'm going to bear fruit. Man, I'm an old man now, but I can still bear fruit right up to my last breath. Amen and amen. So now it's my turn to sing. And we out of time.
So I'm going to sing. And we're going to sing. And Joe's going to keep his song for the next time he sings. Because it's my turn to sing now. Right, Ed? Right. And I pick an old song because I don't know any new ones. And this is written by the Maranatha singers. Let's stand and sing. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.